All right, testing one, two, three. Test the mic, babe. Test the mic. Test the mic. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Uh. Check it out. Uh. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Mm. Keep going. Check. I'm a rapper now. Nina Simona now. And Miles Davis now. And Nina Simona (laughs) now. Just a Fiend Baker now. I'm a starter now. And James Baldwin now. You just reading the stuff off of the wall. Nah, nah, nah. I'm spitting sweet game. Shotgun Walker now. All right. Black people. Black history. This is too much going on in the world, and nobody should be working and doing anything. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. (laughs) But this is a labor of love toward Black liberation. I don't know how we're going to continue to survive and cope and make it to Black liberation, Zion, or whatever the hell we're supposed to be trying to get to alive if we're all hella tired and um, burnt out. Yes, uh, yes. We do it because we love Black people. We are ardent um, defenders of Blackness and Black culture um, against this psychological and spiritual warfare Mm -hmm. that Black people have been experiencing and also physical genocidal warfare that Black people continue to experience all across the globe and the United States, no less. Um, So we're just extremely excited to have you back again every single year. Um, we've been doing this now for five years. This mm-hmm. is the fifth year yes. of Black Hotel Black History. Yes. We had to do it a little different this time because we wanted to live um, in a more sustainable format and place. So, you know, motherfuckers come back, listen to it at their own leisure. Maybe people want to start using their phone less, people getting off Instagram or whatever they need to do for their spirit. Yeah. Um, you know, so we hope that this will be a way to dispense this information. Um and and be a little bit more accessible for people who are not all on Instagram. Yeah, I'm just excited to be back here with y'all. Just yeah, yeah, we're excited, so excited to have you. We love yes. everything that you you know contributed oh. to the world and also to this project. So and to our That's lives, right. we miss yeah. you. I haven't seen you. I know. So it's like, been I too know. long. I know it's like such a you know we are in these times in which people are acting like things are normal and they're not, and we yes. should not be acting like they're normal. We really <laughs> yeah, should absolutely not. We really yeah. should. You know so. Introduce yourself and just let the people know who you are. You know, you are one of my spiritual leaders, brothers, oh, moms, oh. pastor, deacon, bishop. All of it, all of it. I say, amen, I mean, yes. All of that. All of it. All and all the of black, uh, religious gospel doxology for me all the time and so but i want you to tell others who might not know you as well Ab, can i just say real quick you are like one of the best hype men i think that exists on this planet the i was best. like if there is ever like if you yeah, ever just want to pass away to be like just just if you the can best. just get paid just to be a hype man like that's like hats off to you right. like like no other you know um seriously <laughs> seriously yeah <laughs> um, but yeah so for people that don't know me or not familiar with me my full name is jay mace the third people listening can call me jay mace or mace um i use he and his pronouns and i am the uh, co-director of a project turned organization called the Black Trans Prayer Book, where we try to make theologies of healing more popular than theologies of violence, especially in the ways that they impact Black trans people um, all over the world, and particularly right now in the ways that they are impacting the U.S. legal system and other sort of spaces in which um, 
we get penalized for existing and being amazing and calling ourselves into existence. So uh, that's a little bit about me aside from, you know, all the other things that I know we all ha- are, are uh, slashes, slashes of all different types of things. Slashes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, I spit a, I spit a poem every now and again, you know, I do a little writing, you know, people can find me doing all the things. I put a little things out, you know, every here and there. <laughs> You talk about so many things. Like I was kind of studying your TikTok and also your Instagram. Like I feel like so many of us as Black, queer, and trans folks are talking about a multitude of systems that we are constantly up against. Um, But then the focus of your work has been in theology and spirituality. How did you come into that? Like what what drew you to even be in this conversation that is oftentimes so polarizing for us? Yeah, well, I think I'm trying to think of when did I first start kind of coming into having these conversations. And honestly, I grew up uh, in a multi-faith household. Half my family is Muslim, half my family is Christian. Um, On the Christian side of my family, you know, there's a lot of pastors. There's a lot of preachers, a lot of people spit a lot of theology stuff that uh, uh, I did or did not uh, experience in very loving ways, right? Um, And I think for me, being able to see that dichotomy of how on one side of my family uh, where they used Islam to be very, um, uh, I guess, uh, clear in their purpose around black liberation, as well as um, there was this place in which you were always sort of connected to God. And so people could not tell you what your journey was. And I had these very clear conversations, uh, particularly with my father about faith and all these different things versus seeing some very, um, people in my family who, you know, are supposedly big spiritual leaders and sometimes did not uh, do the things that I was taught that Christians were supposed to do, that moral people were supposed to do, but they were still Mm -hmm. seen as the pinnacle of morality, right? And especially, like, especially as, like, Black, trans, and queer folks, you know, there is so much violence committed in the name of religion against us and our bodies, Um, the ways that we get to access space, the ways that we get to love, the ways that we get to uh, find community. Um, So I think from even being able to see my family members at an early age and say like, oh, I don't agree with this at all, actually, this is is toxic. Um, I ended up working at a youth center uh, that was a queer youth center in my early 20s. And my job at that place was to specifically talk about like sexuality and gender education and really working with people who are providers to young people to make sure that they were competent. And I realized the issue wasn't an intellectual one because it wasn't about do I know how to care for children because that's we know how to be kind to people. Right. It was people thinking, oh, I'm sending this child to hell. Right. And so then I started having other conversations about being like, oh, well, we actually need to have a more culturally competent conversation here. Um, And so just even getting into a space of being able to deal with providers for young people, as well as letting young people process out their spiritual trauma. I think that's really what birthed it for me. It was like being being able to be with um, young people who deserved a space. To, to have someone tell them, no, you're not going to hell. No, this is not actually what's happening. Here are some other ways to look at this, these scriptures. Here are some other ways to look at this. Um, here are some other traditions that you could check out. You don't got to stick with the, the one that you were given. You don't have to stick with that. There are so many options for you. If you want to, if you so identify as an atheist now, you could be an atheist. You know, you don't, you don't have to do any of this, right? So I think yeah. creating places for people to heal is really what I ended up doing. Absolutely. And and what you just said also makes me think, too, that 
you know, they're, you, you can still be a Christian or in, so, and not subscribe to hell. You know, that there's, they're probably not like hell. Yeah, like, <laughs> what we're living in might just be hell. This might, like, I think this is probably hell, you know. Um, I think that, that frees so many people. I mean, especially yeah. the little child in me that was brought up in Christianity that was so terrified mm-hmm. to think that my, being queer or being wanting it beyond like a porn sexual desire was was bad enough, yeah. let alone to have a relationship. Like that's so much freedom and mm-hmm. there hell is there is no hell. Right. Like yes, right. maybe maybe you don't have to be Christian at all. Like no one was talking to yeah. you like that. Like yeah. there was no there was no uh choice yeah. in the matter at all. It makes me yeah. think of, uh, I was actually at this conference this weekend called Decon, which is for people who were deconstructing from Christianity. And um, one of the things that came up and, you know, there was some conversations around hell and uh, what it brought up for me was thinking about, you know, what age did you think you were going to hell? Like as a young person who was exposed mm-hmm. to Christianity, at what age yeah. were you convinced that you were sinning so bad that you were such an awful person that you deserved to burn in hell for all eternity? And does that yeah. equate to, is that connect? to the ways that you were also told that God was loving, right? That doesn't mm-hmm. make sense intellectually that someone who loves you would want you to suffer in that way, right? Um, that yeah. that is uh, a big abuser dynamics, <laughs> you know, that we get used to. Um, and it sets yeah. us up for other abuses in our lives, right? It, it causes yeah. us to not be able to, uh, to, understand and acknowledge when we're in an abusive situation often just even as a as a survivor of violence right there was a lot of ways that the ways that i was being taught christianity taught me to accept abuse right Um, and i think people need to be able to free themselves from that Mm -hmm. absolutely wow and i think even the the age thing like being five years old i'm over here up late at night lit it was this white cis man used to come on tv i was about five or six Pastor Arnold Murray, and he had a show called The Shepherd's Chapel. He was likely a bigot. Who knows? I never looked him up because I'm like, that nigga dead. Nah, I Listen, don't, look, but, don't look up your heroes. You can be disappointed. Okay. <laughs> I'm not my hero. For some reason, as a child, I was just so drawn to this yeah. channel. And I don't know why. He could just read the Bible and talk a lot of shit. And I remember, you know, get dark at night and I got the TV light and I'm reading Revelation, scaring the shit out myself. Like, mm. really, like, I'm mm. going to hell like mm. now. Mm, you know, yeah, just yeah. by virtue of reading this. Yeah. And so I think my question to you is like, even just my, cause I, I'm, I'm wondering why do you think people need a concept, especially mm. Christians um, mm. or people who even are Christian adjacent and grew up in Christian households and have now deconstructed from it or decolonized from it in a way. Why do people need hell? Do you think? <laughs> Ooh, I mean, I, in a world in which we're healed, in a world in which we're free, in a world in which we're liberated, nobody needs hell, right? Um, but in a world in which we want people to do what we say, um, in a world in which we want people to be obedient, in a world in which we want to keep power imbalances that don't make intellectual sense, right? That's why we need hell, right? Because it's yeah. not because it's beyond rationalization, right? Because if you know if the response is, oh well if you do that you're going to hell, there's no back and forth about that. You're just you are going to, to burn or whatever. Versus, yeah. you know, something that I could actually we can talk through. We can actually um, create up create some modes of interacting that work for all of us, right? But so people need that bogeyman so that they can um 
they can continue holding power. Like patriarchy needs hell. Um, white supremacy needs hell. Capitalism needs hell, right? Yeah. Um, and they replicate it in all these other different types of ways every day that we witness. Absolutely. Well, absolutely. Yeah. So many things I could go, what I could say. I'm trying not to derail. I'm actually- talking about hell all the time. <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen. <laughs> I'm like, all the time? You're talking about hell all the time? <laughs> The 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 connection to abusive relationships and you know how we've been taught that I think is so powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, As somebody who's also both of us survivors of abusive relationships, um, and how we talk about having stayed in them Mm -hmm. because we love them or because we thought it was going to get better, or because we talked through it, and all of those things that connect right back. Right. to Christianity, but also in thinking about how much labor that requires and also the labor, yeah, I think about Ebony in particular, being the queer and trans person out that's out, mm-hmm. okay, yeah. in his family, yeah. um, <laughs> that he has to do a lot of the labor to, con- to convince even mm-hmm. his family members that that homosexuality that's how they always talk about it that's why I'm using that word right Cause, now just, uh, because everyone that's listening knows that homosexuality is not <laughs> right. a real word it's <laughs> yes. not a god and I don't right. mean to like talk about your feeling but I feel like I'm talking about you and mm-hmm. the labor that you had to do yes. to convince them that that's not of God and that's also not in the Bible right. like it's not written as explicitly that way I'm just thinking about the connection to how much yes. labor you have to do in abusive relationships right. and then also the labor that you have to do when you are in Christianity trying to convince people that you get to exist. But I think it's yeah. also, yeah, labor for us to remain, at least for me to remain Christian because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And that's, I mean, to be honest, like, so for us at the Black Trans Prayer Book with myself and my colleague, I'm saying colleague, my sister friend, my, my homie in this lifetime and beyond, uh, Lady Dane, yeah. you know, for us, um, you know, we started the hashtag transphobia sin campaign because we wanted to reframe that conversation because it's always yeah. up to, especially as trans people, it's always up to us to prove that we're not bad or sinful. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, um, we're not the ones causing violence. Like you're like the okay. theology of transphobia, of homophobia, of anti-blackness, of ableism. It causes people to be killed. It causes people yeah. to not have jobs. It causes people to be houseless. It causes people to not have access to food, to physical safety. Um, that sounds horrible. That sounds demonic. That sounds evil. So it's actually yeah. the onus is on the people who's the fruit of their works causes violence. It's, it's on the onus of those people to prove to me why what you're doing is not a sin. Right. Yeah. Because we're just trying to live our lives, right? And so we started that campaign to specifically try to get people to stop asking and demanding of trans people this labor. It's like, cisgender people y'all got some stuff y'all got work to do right like it's not it's not about us it's not um it's never been about us it's been about that need for control that uh um use use of violence to uh um to create uh uh to to create this sort of subjugation right of people of targeted communities right uh and that's a that's a trick we get into and i think with a lot of conversations around um Theology in particular, especially I'll, I'll say for my um, people in Abrahamic faiths, um, it's, to me it's very different when we talk about our yeah. um, African traditional religions or um, our Eastern religions, all those different things, right? But yeah. 99% of the conversation 
within especially Abrahamic faiths and particularly Christianity uh, focuses yeah. on the clobber passages when you talk about queerness or transness or all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and to me, when you're in that place of looking at these six to seven scriptures and trying to say like, oh, it doesn't, this actually doesn't mean that gay people are going to hell. It doesn't mean that trans people are actually bad. It means this other thing. You know, it's about this law from this time. It's about shellfish. It's about shellfish. <laughs> it's about the clothing <laughs> you're wearing. It's about all this stuff, right? Um, best case scenario, you just, you know, maybe you prove that scripture is neutral. Worst case scenario, worst case scenario you wasted a lot of time talking to a bigot, right? Um, and you could have spent time like talking about actual trans and queer people in the text because those people exist, regardless of what those scriptures say. Because I think even um, even within queer liberation movements, there's so much debate about what things say and what they meant at the time. Um, but what is not debatable is that there are trans and queer people in all those texts because um, we yes. were everywhere. Well, and why don't you think? I mean, what you're speaking to is so important because what I'm hearing too is that there's a certain political and historical malu under which the Bible was created um, or the versions of the Bible that we get that are in languages that are, that that's in an English language that was not spoken during that time or, you know, so there's a lot there that's being societally and politically that's being placed on spirituality or religion. Um, and these books, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, these are written by people at the time. So even if it is being divined by God or having some type of spiritual intervention and messaging, um, my, I guess my thing is like how much of, how much is people's misunderstanding, um, in trans religious based transphobia, homophobia, just a lack of knowledge and education around, the religions that they practice or how much of it is just Fox news and TV and shit from from around the world. Well, I Hmm. think the biggest misconception I think that people have is, um, people presume the people in the pulpits or the people that are Christian leaders are, um, also believe the stuff that they say out of their mouths. Um, And so what I know from working behind the scenes with lots of religious leaders for many, many moons and (laughs) for most of the entirety of my life is that a lot of Christian leaders aren't Christian. Like, and when I say that they're not Christian, I mean that in the sense of like believing in Jesus, believing in an afterlife, believing in like um, the, the Trinity. Like, I mean, there are Christian leaders on paper in a pulpit every Sunday that don't actually believe even the fundamentals of Christianity. Um, yeah. Because church is a job, like you become a teacher, like you become mm-hmm. a librarian, like yeah. you become yeah. a firefighter, right? And so sometimes people forget that church is a business, all those different things. So it's, um, so I think a lot of it, there are lots of lay people who actually are not taught how to critically think around their faith because they've been taught a very passive faith, right? Um, That's a lot of work I'm doing right now. I have a book called Is Your God a Violent God that I'm working on right now, which is looking at a lot of, again, some of the ways in which theology is used to cause harm um, across different interpersonal and institutional sort of dynamics. Um, But so I think that it's a lot of lay people who trust, because I think we are wired as human beings physically, we're wired to trust people, like, because that helps our survival. Um, But that means, yeah, we don't often critically think about, is this person who has been chosen as leader actually someone who is worried about my emotional or spiritual well-being? 
Sometimes they are. A lot of times they're not. Um, there's a lot of money that changes hands. I think about um, different yeah. types of Christian institutions that pump out a lot of political leaders like uh, Dallas Baptist University or other sort of places in which, um, you know, they're, pre- they're teaching really uh, violent and conservative right-wing theologies uh, that are not about um, caring for people, but again, are financially valuable to those individuals, to those leaders, to the institutions that preach that. So I think a lot of it's money. I think a lot of it is money um, and our desire to believe. Mm-hmm. In something. In something. Or but somebody in who... the people that are saying that they, like a lot of us will take people at their word, which is very dangerous, right? A lot of people mm-hmm. like we will take faith leaders at their word because Christianity has pitched itself as being, again, the pinnacle of morality. When it's not, yes. it's just one yeah. way of thinking. Is it also that capitalism is wrapped up in this as well? Yeah. Not just in that it, you are when you when you are, are part of a church, it's a job, but capitalism in that there's always going to be a lower class of people, and there's always going to be a higher class of people. There's only only way for there to be a higher class is that a lower class exists. Yeah, yeah. So if the lower class just prays and just really stays connected to God, then they can work themselves out of it. Um, And I hear that a lot from my family, from even as a kid. Even um, when it doesn't make sense. Even when they haven't seen it in their lives. One of my my family members, she's deceased now, Mm -hmm. gave so much of her money to the church Mm -hmm. um, that she would have financial problems, but she had it in hopes that she would get it in return. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like there is like capitalism is wrapped up in this as well. It's like, yeah. you um, will be wealthy one day yeah. if you if you follow all of these tenets and if you also hand over money. Yeah, L- listen, yeah. I mean, and that's because yeah. even like, I'm not sure if y'all been following what they, that the Catholic Church, their little, um, their quote unquote apologies around colonization that have been happening. Um, oh no! Yeah, so, I've been hearing. I'm just about just, to get on their asses because me so, with Catholicism, no shade to none of y'all that's Catholic. Listen, but. God bless. You know, I'm. Let me actually, whew, actually. Let me take out what I was going to say. Anyways, I'm so happy for everybody <laughs> and what they believe. God right? bless everybody. Uh, God bless everybody. God, God bless you. God bless you. God bless everybody. Um, but so Pope uh, Francis. <laughs> So, I mean, Pope John Paul II in the 90s was the first pope, I think, to, like, publicly say, give an apology for, like, slavery and colonization and stuff like that. He didn't move no money into anyone's hands or, like, distribute, okay. redistribute any land or, like, give away the, the Catholic Church's gold or anything like that, you know. Okay. Um, but he made an apology. Pope Francis right now, um, there was a lot of protests against him um, in the summer and in the fall uh, based off of his apologies around uh, – colonization again, and indigenous peoples were trying to get him to um, rescind the Doctrine of Discovery, you know, which uh, for people, yeah, yeah. so Doctrine of Discovery, which... Yeah, um, who might not know what that is. Yeah, so it was a series of uh, papal bulls that started to be, um, like, decrees from the Catholic Church that started in about 1493, right? And so these were not necessarily all connected until later on, right? So in about the about 1823 is the first time we see it come up in the U.S. government, uh, where the Supreme Court 
use yeah. that to be able to continue to disavow indigenous people of their land. It was even used as recently as 2005 with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which I know was a lot of white folks' favorite, right? Um, but she too mm-hmm. used this Catholic doctrine, even as a white Jewish woman, right? <laughs> uses Catholic yeah. doctrine that crept into our, uh, you know, separation from church legal system um, to, again, continue yeah. to cause harm to indigenous peoples, right? And so there's, um, uh, so there's this very, to me, I always want to tell people that, you know, the major religion in the United States is whiteness. That is actually the top religion out of all else, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and so people of all, white people of all faiths can, can kind of jump on that. But so, it, so when... Pope Francis was asked to rescind this doctrine of discovery by these indigenous people. What they're asking for is like basically a statement. Okay. That's what they're asking for. That's a very, like, it's the lowest bar that you can have. Like just say out loud that this is wrong, that it is violent, that you don't agree so that other people and including governments, world governments can stop using this to cause indigenous people harm. And Pope Francis still won't do it. Because that no. disrupts the business of the church, right? Because white supremacy, this, um, you know, this uh, slavery, uh, uh, the uh, genocide against indigenous peoples yeah. is like, that's part of what holds the Catholic church together, right? Um, yeah, big time. Church of England, they recently made an apology about slave, their role in this translated slave trade. Turns out they invested money into the transatlantic slave trade, right? And so their mm-hmm. apology fund now, so they have a $10 billion investment portfolio. They're going to take a, a, a 10 billion pound, let me say correctly, because they're Church of England, 10 billion pound investment fund portfolio. Which is like a zillion dollars. It's a lot, it's a lot of fucking money. It's a lot of fucking <laughs> money. They're taking, they, well, they're taking 121 billion pounds and they're making an apology fund, right? Which is still an investment fund, right? Because they're going to be using that investment to invest in areas and invest in spaces that were impacted by the very transatlantic slave trade that they profited off of. So again, they're, so you, they're feeding more money back into, back into the church, themselves. right? Um, so, yeah, so I, mean, <laughs> I feel like capitalism, capitalism runs off anti-blackness, right? So that's also the thing. It's like in that tier system, we are still at the bottom of that, right? Um, we, are so we are the capital. Our labor, our bodies have literally been the capital for hundreds of years. And the church has been great about it, especially when we talk about the institution of these white churches. And yeah, so I feel like there's not really a way to separate Christianity from cap. The Western Christianity is not able to be separated completely from capitalism because of some of those larger um, ties. Mm, you're going off. Now, let me ask you this. Yeah. Now, I have a long-held belief, and I think you kind of you kind of checked me on it, too, uh, not too long ago. I'm like, let, <laughs> let, let, tell, tell me why I checked you on Why I checked you on that? What was it? <laughs> I'm just like evangelical white Christians where I be believing shit that's not real, mm-hmm. even though I have evidence to the contrary that it is actually not factual. Mm-hmm. But I have this long-standing belief that won't leave me that Christianity is just a white religion. Mm-hmm. Is that it's it's not it, it maybe your stance on that has changed when I said that before you kind of brought it back to me and was like, is it? And I do I, know that in a sense it is not actually. When we think about early Christians right. and how they looked in Ethiopia, like we right. those are not white people. Right. But there's still this pervasive idea that 
and and it's it is rooted in the transatlantic slave trade and how Christianity was weaponized much in the way as a continuation of the project of colonization towards indigenous people and then continued to indigenous Africans brought here forcibly. There is this thought that like even though you know black people practice Christianity, we are only doing so as a holdover from slavery, but it has to be more complicated than that. It's way more complicated. Yeah, I would say it's way more complicated exactly. than that. Exactly. Right? So, but a lot of people believe that, Myself included. that it is a white religion. <laughs> you said, I'm like, you said, it's a white religion, period. Erica's like, it is a white religion. Where those were the first churches like ever. Yeah. So I, it's kind of ridiculous for me to even believe that, but yeah. I have been so... Indoctrinated that it is, and it was used as a tool of oppression. That's that's like well, both things because I think what people are confusing, right? Because this is also our Western positioning, right? Is we confuse Western Christianity with all Christianity, and that's just not real, right? Ah. So the Christianity which many, I think, even Black folks in this country are practicing is a white religion. I do, yeah. So that's I think that's very specific. Mm -hmm. Christianity at its at its root was not created by white people, so it in and of itself is not a white religion. And so I think mm -hmm. that it is because um, I hear a lot of people problematize um, and kind of question, um, oh, can I still be leaning into my black uh, liberation values and still do this thing? You know, and to me, I'm like black people transform everything we touch. Right. So that's that's one thing. Right. So one, the roots of it are not white by themselves. I think we do need if people are Christian, we need to take time to like actually look through and deconstruct what part of this is my is the white supremacy <laughs> Christianity I'm learning and what parts of this is actually what I believe in my heart about connecting with higher power ancestors. Um, I'm someone who does ancestor worship and things like that. I don't, at this point, I don't identify as a Christian or a Muslim. Like I identify as someone who, you know, again, like I believe black, I do believe that black trans people are divine by nature. And so like, I'm like, yeah. I connect with all kinds of different spiritual uh, uh, teachings that help me connect to myself and to my people. Um, some of my most recent ancestors are Christian right? Some of them, that's the language that they know and that I could speak to them in, like even as we even continue relationship past this realm and past this other space. And so I think for especially my folks uh, and my, and the Christianity of my um, grandparents doesn't look the same as, you know, some white old, does not look the same as Pope Francis. Even my grandmother, she was Catholic, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, she still did divination. She still read cards. She still had like, she had the gift of sight. She did different little things that was still very connected to her being a black person, having yeah. an African lineage, right? Um, yeah. And so I think it's it's we use this language and we collapse everything into this language of Christianity, but that actually doesn't look the same for all of us or doesn't mean the same for all yeah. of us. And I, I'm hard-pressed to find black people um, anywhere that haven't infused some of their own culture into their spiritual practice right so that's yeah. now are there some yeah. places where it's been almost damn near robbed out yes right so i've seen so i've been actually um i have some family out of ghana i went to a church in ghana and they had outlawed drums in the church couldn't even have drums in the wow. church that was like that was a mind fuck for me i was like what do you mean and church was seven hours y'all seven hours seven long hours with yeah. singing in Latin, <laughs> singing in Latin. Like I was world. like, <laughs> and so, and, the whole time. Well, oh my God. it was 
so much. Like, and so I think that, and so I, I say that to also say that I think that um, there are ways to connect. There are ways to that we speak English, you know, we speak a colonizer language, um, and yet black people yeah. transform that into being our own every day, right? We're um, we're mm-hmm. on this um, land together. We're cr- so I feel like we also just as black people have a really magical ability to to create new things, to create uh, wonderful things. Um, and so, yeah, I guess I just don't, I don't, it's not as plain or as, is it a white religion or is it not? It's all those things. I think it also, it's such a linear, it, I mean, it is such a linear way of thinking about black people and really robs our indigenous African ancestors of their agency. We know that in places like Brazil and other South American countries, there were syncretic um, religious practices where um, black people would bring, black people from West Africa would bring their indigenous African spiritual practices and meld them and mesh them with um, Catholicism like you get with Santa. Right, right, right. The same thing that was happening um, with black people, particularly when it comes to the uh, the syncretic sort of value um, that Hoodoo has with um, the Pentecost and all it like, so you know all the things that you know my family talks about being born with a veil over the head like my grandma mm-hmm. was, and you know all this it was you can't sweep your foot, you got to spit on the broom and sweep your foot, right. like all these different things that they do. You know that is much more complex than I think our white theological, very Western-based um, history is going to give us. So void we, of any sort of heart and love. Heart so and love, passion, but also void Yes. When you, and when you say it, because when you articulate that, then my question is, so how can you know all that and still think that it's by default just a white religion? Ignorant. That's real. Ignorant. Well, we give them everything. <laughs> we, give them, right. we give them everything. Right. Like all the... I just think, yeah, we just give them a lot of credit where right. credit is not due. Where credit is not due. And it's, and right. it's yeah. period. Because, like, um, we don't honor our own indigenous practices and yeah. our own contributions and where that could have potentially come from. That's right. Uh, yes. Some theologians yeah. believe that the God of the Old Testament is actually a trickster God and is actually not the same God as like the New Testament of Jesus and things like that. Yeah. Um, to me, when I think about um, white people taking a religion created by brown people and black people and taking it all around the world to use it to actually uh, uh, enslave those same people, to cause harm to those same people, to disavow those same people of land and resources and their right to exist, um, that sounds like some trickster god shit to me. So, like, because uh, so, like, that's, that's some... That's some strange shit to me. And so that's, so that's what I would yeah. say is like uh, the white Christianity is like a whisper down the lane type of thing that was specifically crafted to be a tool of war, to be a tool of oppression. Yeah. Um, and we can divorce ourselves from it. I think that for anyone who is surviving Christian supremacy, anyone who is surviving um, the violence that they, that they had growing up, from Christianity can choose to move forward in a way that makes them feel good. Um, as long as <laughs> we're willing to say no to power structures within our faith communities, um, that, uh, perpetuate uh, power dynamics that cause harm to people, um, in the future or people now, um, I think that there needs to be more conversations and more clarity around just, especially those power dynamics. Cause I think that's the white piece. The white piece is that, 
your pastor is now the only person that can get to God in this place. That doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> like, or that this person over here is the only person that can do these, or these um, mm-hmm. people that can read this text, and this, these are the only people that can interpret the text. That doesn't make sense to me, right? Um, no. We need to be able to have access to our own spiritual gifts, and we need to be able to have access to whatever we believe created us right? <laughs> without someone else yeah. in between that. And so I think anything that can get you closer to that and to your ancestors and to your own divination with your higher power, I think that's the right path. That's beautiful. And I also think it's implausible that there would only be one God. Right. I, I, that's, I that's, also know now that, that's, again, I'm, that's some tricks to that shit. That's but there's one God. I, I as a, even mm-hmm. as a, as Christian as I call myself, right. it's probably not just a red herring for something else. Um, because to answer your question too, why would I believe that it's a white religion when it's really not? Is that it's the part of the psychological war- warfare. Yes, right? it's a part of the yes. the fact that we were essentially kidnapped and mm-hmm. stolen and brought to, to another place and mm-hmm. forced to believe mm-hmm. um, something and really given complete physical distance, but also in every way disconnection from where we actually come from Mm -hmm. um, and separated literally from our lineages. Um, That is all psychological warfare. So that would absolutely have a person believe something like being gay is a sin. I think that, I mean, or that there's only two genders, like just stupid. Because it's stuff that makes you not be rooted in reality, right? So what do you mean like gay people or trans people are not of God? It's like, we're here, right? You said God created everything. Is that real or not, right? Or are you lying to me? Um, You know, like when people say like, you can't do science and God, it's like, what? Like some of the first scientists were medicine people, (laughs) like were people that were doing the science, right? We're doing the things that help to keep, to make, uh, to that, we're making discoveries that we're treating people that we're doing the things that keep us well. It's like any time someone is telling you something that is like you're at somehow has you pick a religion over reality is trying to trap you into something, right? Like it's both right. these things have to happen at the same time. And I do think that it's possible to be Christian and believe in multiple gods. You can believe in this one God that you serve and believe there are other gods, right? Lots of other faiths yeah. do that all the time, right? <laughs> there are many gods, but yeah. this is mine, right? Mm-hmm. Or this is the one I'm worshiping, or this is the one, you know, yeah. so all that. And I'm a, I'm a particularly skeptical kind of Christian. I don't believe in the rapture, really. I don't be- There's a lot that Jesus got up on the third day. There's a lot of shit that I'm believing, but that doesn't mean that, you know, I am disconnected from God or disconnected from Jesus. It's just that these I, I feel free enough to be able to unsubscribe from certain tenets that don't really make that I haven't come to an understanding of yet mm-hmm. for myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, One of those tenets being <laughs> <laughs> what's she going to say, Eric? <laughs> that black people in particular have a brand of homophobia and transphobia uh, that it is that it is culturally something uh, that we right. are and and i'm curious to how you address that in your work because i know that you see that a lot yeah um and i know what that's about i mean we both we all know that that's yeah. a falsehood and we're not the source of that at all mm-hmm. um but it is it's so in and now it's so pervasive and now i don't know if you've seen this i've seen a lot of i don't know why i'm getting a lot of church ads like (laughs) you're having conversations like this this is why you because y'all talking about hell all day that you getting conversations (laughs) with that i talk about 
sex constantly at church. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, but, but I'm seeing a lot of these ads or a lot of these um, uh, Instagram stories or whatever yeah. of black people who are in the church, ministers and so on and so forth, who are talking about homophobia and transphobia is really bad in the black community. Exactly. And I'm like, y'all are, this is but, not good. Like, I mean, because the people that are spending the most dollars to be homophobic in public are going to be people from white churches, right? That's the people that are spending 100%. the money, they're doing the lobbying, they're spending all that. These are So, this is also the same way that we, like, we don't treat crime the same way in our country, right? Like, we talk about, like, we will penalize people for a certain drug crime, right? But we let people who um, steal people's retirement or people that steal people's homes or people that deny people basic care, we let those people go scot-free. There are lots of people who have, who have killed folks, right? Who've killed hundreds of people at a time. Like, if you kill one person, you go to jail. If you kill 100, you're free. Right. That's a white collar crime right there. Right. Um, and so I think that's what people need to really be thinking about. It's like homophobia and transphobia in the black church is a symptom, again, of the same larger um, white supremacist teachings that we've been given that were about controlling us and controlling like um, trying to uh, make us uh, adhere to some rules that were about keeping us in line um, and not being connected to our own power and not being connected to our own history. What we know from um, different teachings and different um, colonizers that went all over is that um, they specifically saw like um, saw indigenous peoples who had um, genders that were outside of, uh, of the cis gender binary. Like we think about Balboa, right? Um, who wrote specifically about seeing uh, people in the Americas that had uh, genders that were uh, across the spectrum and also acknowledging that when they were seeing these people um, in the Americas, in Western East Africa and all these other places, these people also had specific cultural and spiritual leadership roles, right? Um, and so it wasn't just that they were people who were trans, it's that they had specific rites of passage that only they could keep, right? And so targeting of black, uh, queer, and trans people is not by accident, right? It's specifically because uh, we hold on to a type of history. We also are people that are, I think, even every day, like there are certain rules that exist around, again, white supremacist systems, around patriarchy, around all these things that we we can't participate in for all kinds of reasons. One, because we defiantly say no, but also because those are things that we don't easily blend into all the time, right? And so we become easy targets for systems that want us to, again, forget our lineages, to, again, forget um, the uh, the fullness of Black people, the fullness of Black culture, the fullness of all these things, right? Um, so it's not, yeah. it's most, so I think that's a very dangerous lie when people say it's something about, in particular in the Black church, it's like, White churches have been killing people for hundreds of years. What are you talking about? Like what? Like I remember actually, um, even around Islam, around the nation of Islam, right? Because um, that's the um, my family is uh, part of the nation of Islam, right? And um, I remember I was talking to this white gay man, and I was talking about my family and something like that. He was like, "Oh, nation of Islam." He's like, uh, uh, "You know the ACLU or Southern Poverty Law Center?" I think Southern Poverty Law Center has them on the the hate group list. Right. That's what I was told. I was like, they're on the hate group list. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I was like, you're like, you're Catholic. Right. And he was like, oh, yeah. I was like, can you name for me all the people that the Nation of Islam has killed? Can you like name that for me? And he was like, oh, no. Yeah. And I was like, do you know how many hundreds of millions of people were murdered by the Catholic Church, even up to today, that you would have the gall to come out your mouth and say that's a hate group, but Catholicism is fine? 
You going to go to church and pray to your white God who murders people and talk about my religion? What? The Southern Poverty Law Center needs to be on the hate groups <laughs> list that they created. They literally have black okay. supremacists yeah. as part yeah. of yes. the AD that is a thing that is real. Yes. If it is, I'm one of them and they can put my name as number one <laughs> on the list. <laughs> Straight up. Whew. I was going to say them and the ADL, but that's a different conversation for a different day. Like, yes. Let's get it. 100. We can do ACLU as well. But let me just let's, let's get them all. Let's get them all on that. Listen, I'm trying to think what nasty crap ACLU. Oh, ACLU was tweeting today, yesterday. Did you see them ACLU tweeting yesterday about Trump? And now it's the right decision to have yeah. Trump back on social media? They said it was the right decision. Let, uh, let me pull this shit up because I was like, "Are y'all hacked?" Right I was like, "Were y'all hacked?" Because this is the only way that this makes fucking sense to me. Y'all had to have been motherfucking no, hacked. Y'all had to. Be That's what happens hacked. when you have an uh, executive director make nine hundred thousand. Okay, more so, than that. In response to Donald Trump's Facebook and Instagram access being uh, reinstated, the ACLU tweeted, "This is the right call." Like it or not, President Trump is one of the country's leading political figures, and the public has a strong interest in hearing his speech. Yeah. Wow. Doctrine of discovery. Wow. I'm telling you. Yeah. But you got to just look at where's the money coming where's from? Where's the money coming from? ACLU does not have a little bit of money. No. They don't have a little bit of money. Yes. Why? objectivity That's thing wild. that white people particularly yep. white people on the legal yep. use to justify yes. violent rhetoric they are they people anybody in law school or that's a lawyer reading this let that go because yes. it's, it's illogical it's, it actually doesn't it's not as rational as you think it's it seems like, like whiteness is cannot be the marker of rationality any kind of way right white people have been okay. around it's irrational to be able to see the amount of death that we see every day and be okay with it right it's completely irrational yeah. it's irrational to um, be talking about things that that cause harm to people and just act like it's a normal day right um yeah it's you know i think about the studies that talk about you know how we as black folks of course that epigenetics is is this am i saying this right um where mm-hmm. you know we have all this um change in our dna from the traumas that we've experienced it's like well what happened to y'all as white people right like that doesn't you know y'all so because i like i'm someone i can't hit anybody like i i like especially when we talk about surviving violence i wish i could hit somebody that would have made i I wish i could physically cause harm to somebody in my life right um it makes me nauseous it makes me sick it makes me cry right putting my hands on people the idea that white people can okay the kinds of uh, can have have come from lineages of murderers right uh, for them to think that they're yeah. okay is not is not normal that's not that's not human behavior okay that's something yeah. else yeah it's not it's just not and i think they have the benefit of narrative control yeah I think they, oh, they, 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 they got a good pr team okay yes they got the and best it's the same reason why I mean, we don't talk about the Catholic Church and all the violence that they've committed such that in 2022 they sit up here trying to apologize all on the back end for it and do all these vapid sort of empty promises and throw money back into right. their townships and cities so they can get tax breaks and all this other shit. But what's normally what people like to talk about all the time is Hebrew Israelites and like yeah. that's a big thing out yeah. there. But people are not, you know, so what do you feel, what is your stance on that around people's 
sort of obsessions with these sort of maybe fringe groups, but not the major bigots in the Catholic Church or I mean, other major Western religions. It goes to again, like again, like name for me. How many people have these people killed? Right, name for me. <laughs> like what laws they have changed? Name for me whose yeah. homes have they usurped? Right, name for me what land yeah. they have stolen? Okay, name for me who have they intimidated out of a job? Right, like name for me all these things. Right, um, and then we could talk about who's violent or not. Right, but this place of uh, perceiving black people as violence because. People think black people, white people think black people are violent. A lot of progressive ass white people will say everything except for they think that black people by default are violent, right? Yeah. Because that's the only way that makes sense, right? Well, they show mm-hmm. it. They show it. Yeah. They show it. They show yeah. it. Right. Listen, because I'm like, you know, uh, they like Hebrew Israelites, you know, they take up too much space on the sidewalk and stuff like that, but they're not. They're not structurally yeah, doing really anything. Right? Right? They are some a lot of real estate development. They are committed. Right? They are committed. They be on out rain and shine. They be committed. They be committed. They be on the subway. I'm trying to see show time on the subway. I'm what? trying to hear all that mess. Listen. All right, we've taken up entirely too much of your time. Oh, listen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> never, <laughs> never, never, never. Oh, and these conversations are supposed to be 30 minutes. But, of course, <laughs> we are not there. Um, one thing I do want to ask you before you go is a lot of people that listen to this podcast do not live anywhere near other black, queer and trans folks, um, feel very isolated in their communities. Um, also have a lot of questions about spirituality or are just being, uh, chastised by spirituality, whether it be their family or their community, um, for just being who they are. So what, what is some advice that you can give to folks who are not necessarily in like a major metropolitan area that could have access to these different, not even different, but just another discourse that could free them? Um, what is some advice that you would give to them? Um, one, I would say, I think fortunately we're in a time in which we don't have to be isolated because we are so digitally connected, right? So yeah. if people are listening to this, I would definitely encourage people to check out the Black Trans Prayer Book um, as we're creating yeah. different resources from books to this documentary film we're working on right now on Black Trans Spirituality. Um, I would tell people that I've never seen so many different Black trans conferences as I have right now. <laughs> like So at Black Queer Spaces and conferences and stuff like that. So please just, you know, check out just... There's a lot of organizations that are trying to connect people. Um, I think about, obviously, like uh, Marsh P. Johnston's too. I think about Black Trans Media. I think about um, uh, just different places all over the U.S. that are making uh, making space for us, right? So I would say, please, uh, you know, there was a time in which I feel like you had to be queer on your own, um, and we're no mm-hmm. longer in that time. So please, yeah, please, right. please, please, uh, just check out some of those other resources um, and connect because there's no um, there's no reason you should have to feel like the only one anymore. Yes, and where can we find all all of the work that you're doing right now? Yeah, um, if you want to see all the randomness that I do, uh, you can check me out on uh, uh, at J Mace. All very connected. Yeah, <laughs> so you're gonna check me out at J Mace uh, the third on Instagram or TikTok or Twitter, which is at J M A S E I I I, or you can check out my website J Mace I I I dot com. Um, yeah. Or the Black Trans Prayer Book stuff, because I'm all over that and always there. So um, those are the top t- three places. Wonderful. And when might we expect the forthcoming book to be released? 
Oh, goodness. So I have a couple of book projects right now because my brain is, um, I have a lot of attention problems. But so the, um, the Israel God of Violent God is going to come out in 2024. Um, the, uh, I have another book that's about my favorite trans uh, Bible and Quran character, Josephine, uh, that was illustrated by a really beautiful black trans femme artist, uh, uh, Ripley Bennett, um, that's going to be coming out um, yeah. in two months. So that book will be out in two months for people that want some affirming black trans uh, theology stuff for them. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, so y'all look out for that. We're going to have all of this Jay Mace's information where you can find his work, where you can support the black trans prayer book and purchase and support Jay Mace. We'll have all of his payment info, all the information to keep up with what he's doing. Go get hip, go get some game. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. This is so good. Thanks, y'all. Yes, yes, yes.